Amen. Great reminder that our only hope is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to uh, thank many of you who've participated in our family situation this week. As you know, my wife Laurel had uh, fairly major surgery on Tuesday, uh, is home now, came home yesterday and is uh, recovering. Uh, each day is a little bit better. She's looking for the license plate of the truck that hit her. Uh, but she is uh, doing much better. We do, I can't tell you how much we appreciate all the prayers and support that we've gotten. It's just been overwhelming. And there are things that I'm sure that God does behind the scenes that uh, we're not even aware of. Um, and your prayers are part of that. And so we uh, appreciate that very much. Feel very, very well supported. So as we uh, continue into our uh, study in Romans chapter 8 this week, uh, I'd like to pause and let's uh, take a moment to uh, pray and ask the author of the book to guide us. Father, as we have uh, sung this morning uh, and as we have been studying in the book of Romans, we realize that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead indeed lives in us. And he who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies and will raise us from the dead someday. We've also sung that you have rescued us, that our chains are gone. We are no longer slaves to the sin that held us in bondage, but you have set us free. And then as we've been reminded that the only hope that we have is, is you. Help us not to steal your glory. Help us not to try to stand in your place and to think that we are someone we're not or have done something we haven't, but uh, give you the glory and the praise for what you have done in our lives. And we're grateful to be called your children. I pray now as we come to the study of your word that it would be your spirit that would speak. It would not be me that speaks. It would be your spirit. It would not be the words of people, but it would be the words of God that are spoken and I pray that all of our hearts would be open. I trust that only as you can, you can bring your word to apply to each heart. You know what each one of us brings, what each one of us comes with, what each of our needs are today. And we trust that you will meet us in those needs as individuals, but also as a corporate body. And so we entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week uh, we looked at... Oh, yeah, I always bring this to remind me, then I forget. Uh, if you are interested in taking notes, there is a note sheet in your bulletin. You can uh, jot some notes down. The main, main points are there if you'd like to follow along with that. Uh, as I was saying last week, uh, we looked at the fact that we are indebted to God to learn how to live as his adopted child with him as our Abba, as our Father. So because of who God is and what he has done for us, we are indebted to him. Our lives are changed forever. Uh, this week, we are going to look at uh, Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. Uh, Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. I invite you to turn in whatever Bible that you have with you, uh, in print or electronic, and read along with me. I think it's very important for us as believers to uh, follow along with what is written because I'm, not, I'm intentionally not going to try to slip something by you, uh, but in case I accidentally do, you may catch it and say, hey, what, you said this, 
uh, it's very important that you search the scriptures with, with me that together we can seek the face of God and what he has for us. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 16 to pick up the context of the flow. Verse 16 is one of the verses we looked at last week, and then we'll go down to um, verse 25. And I will be reading from the NIV version, New International Version, which is the version that's in your pews. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all for Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Amen. The frame uh, that we're going to hang these verses on today are actually verse 18. Uh, If you look, therefore, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul gives us a comparison here. The sufferings of this present time and the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we're going to be looking at these verses. We're going to go through them twice. The first time we're going to go through them looking at the sufferings of this present time. And then we're going to go through them again looking at the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then at the end spend a couple moments just thinking through some additional implications of this. So what is the suffering of this present time? And we're going to notice if you look uh, starting in verse 19 for the creation waits with eager longing. So the first thing that Paul talks about is the creation here in terms of the suffering of our present time. Uh, The reason I uh, started at verse 16, if you know there's a tie-in here between verse 17 and uh, verse 18, uh, Paul says that we are heirs of Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's this suffering glory comparison that Paul is bringing in here that we're going to look at. So the creation, uh, Paul talks about it. He's looking forward, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We'll come back to that. But what is the current state of the creation? If you look in verse 21, he says that it is in bondage to corruption. It is in bondage to corruption. That word indicates that it's... in bondage to decay, to ruin, to destruction, to disintegration. If we look at the creation around us, Paul is saying the creation, this world we live in is broken. The world we live in is broken. Well, what does that look like? It looks like hurricanes. It looks like fires in Redding, California and Athens, Greece. It looks like cars that break. Machines that don't work right. Uh, years ago, I had an old car uh, that every time I put the window up, the molding just sort of went with it. 
And uh, when I rolled the window up, I'd have to push the molding back in place. Never got it fixed because I didn't figure it was worth the however much money it would be to, to do it. But instead of getting aggravated at that, getting angry every time I put the window up and the molding went with it and I pushed it down, God allowed me to use that as a reminder that this world is a broken place. So every time I put that window up, it was a reminder to me that there is no such thing as perfect in this world. Everything is broken. You can buy a brand new car and drive it off the lot and there's something wrong with it. You can build a new house. You can design it yourself and have it built. And the moment you walk through the door, you're going to notice something is wrong with it. And even if you do find something that's perfect, hold on because 10 minutes from now, it won't be. Something will happen. It will break. We live in a broken world. Uh, floods, roofs that leak, trees that fall on houses, caves that flood after a group of soccer players go into for an explore. We talked about that in Thailand. They were on a, just an outing to go into this cave, and after they got there, the monsoons came, flooded the cave, and they had to be uh, taken out by divers. These are all part of the broken world that we live in. Well, how did it get there? It says that we are in bondage to corruption. Then in verse 22, he says that we know, oops, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God subjected the creation to this frustration, to this futility, to this emptiness. Well, how did he do that? Well, he made Adam and Eve, and we're not going to go back there to look at that, but in, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we get this story. God made Adam and Eve sinless and placed them in this perfect world. It was a perfect world where there were no destructive storms, where there were no things that broke, that everything worked perfectly as God intended it to work. However, Adam and Eve chose to go their own way instead of believing God and doing things his way. They basically said, God, no, we can handle this. We don't need you. We're going to do this on our own. And as a result of that, the entire creation and they themselves were cursed and plunged into this suffering that we have today. Unless you think you should get mad at Adam and Eve, just put yourself back there because if we say, well, I, I wouldn't have done that if I was there. Uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, arrogance, as we heard about in the song this morning, to say that if, if we were there, we would have done the same thing, I think. No, I don't think, I know. The world was not meant to be this way, and we see that the, the future of God's creation was tied to us. It was tied to how we did. And the creation was made perfectly, but because of Adam and Eve's choice to sin, the world was plunged into this suffering that we have today. And so Paul says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in childbirth, in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation is groaning. Uh, if you think about that, what is this talking about? Uh, that word groaning refers to under the weight of suffering sighing as the result of deep concern or stress, sighing as a result of deep concern or stress. So imagine that I'm standing here and somebody comes and puts a backpack, an empty backpack on my back and then starts putting stuff in it, puts bricks and cinder blocks and stuff in it. And each thing that comes in, what's happening? I'm starting to groan under the weight. I'm starting to not be able to manage that weight. That's what's happening to creation. It's groaning under the weight of this suffering uh, that has come into, 
come into the world. Not only that, in verse 22, in the, it doesn't come out in the NIV so much, but in the English Standard Version, it says the creation has been groaning together. It's been groaning together as if experiencing a common calamity. It's experiencing a common calamity. Every aspect of creation is broken, and together it is experiencing this common calamity, which is a very sad situation. And Paul says it's in the, chain, in the pains of childbirth. It's in the pains of childbirth. Uh, it, and uh, never having experienced that, uh, I did watch it three times, and my wife, and I've watched it several times, and other women, maybe, or many of you know that I'm a medical doctor, so I've had the opportunity to, unfortunately, see that suffering, and, and many of you women would attest to that, the pains of childbirth. What are they? When they come, they come. You, you can't say, you know what, we're going to wait till tomorrow. I don't have time for this today, uh, right? When they come, they come. They are intense. They are unstoppable, they are relentless, and they are very painful. So Paul says the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. Uh, and we're going to come back to that in, in a little bit. Well, then Paul goes on to talk about God's children. If you look at verse 23, he says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. Not only is the non-human creation or the non-human universe suffering, but people suffer as well. And we who are God's children are not exempt from that. We share in the suffering that's so common to this world, subject to the same things. We're not exempt. So poverty, injustice, war, violence, hatred, cruelty, racism, sexism, trafficking, hopelessness, despair, the effects of the broken creation. The neighbor's tree is going to fall on a believer's house just as much as it falls on an unbeliever's house. We are not exempt from the suffering of this world just by being God's children. And not only that, we acknowledge that our bodies are weak. Our bodies are weak, subject to sickness, injury, and death. Again, as a medical doctor, I, I'm often amazed at two seemingly contradictory things. I'm, I'm impressed with the resilience of the human body and I'm impressed with the frailty of the human body. It takes a lot to go wrong for a person to die, but it can happen like that. We are very frail. We are subject to injury, to sickness, and to death. Not only that, not only are we subject to the, the sinful patterns of the world and to the weaknesses that we have, but we are overwhelmed sometimes by our own sin, by the deep, sometimes dark parts of sin that is ever-present within us, and many of you know what that is, as you struggle, these inward struggles that just seem to have no answer. So not only is the creation groaning, but God's children are groaning as well. So we, as God's children, are groaning. The deep pain of the suffering as we bear that weight of suffering. You know, that's, you could say, wow, thanks for the good news today. I came to church to be encouraged, and everybody's groaning or carrying this heavy weight. Yeah, it's a very sad and hopeless assessment of the human condition and the state of creation. Uh, but I think it's important for us to understand that because, uh, again, if you don't know what the bad news is, you're not going to, first of all, know that you need help. <laughs> and when the good news comes, you're not going to recognize it as good news because you didn't realize how bad the bad news was. 
So it's important for us to recognize that. Well, how do we deal with uh, this suffering? I came across this cartoon, many of you uh, know this, Pearls Before Swine, uh, with rat, pig, and uh, donkey, and uh, other animals. Uh, this cartoon, I thought, just captured the essence of this so much. I'm going to show the whole thing, then I'm going to break it apart. Uh, so here's Pig walking by Goat, and he says, Hey, Pig, how can you be so happy when everything, with everything that's going on in the world? Right? This world's a mess. How can you be so happy? He says, Because I never hoped for anything better. I never hoped for anything better. And here's the line. It's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. Is he a moron or a genius? Well, let's go with moron. But it's the hope that kills you. So that's one way to deal with the pressures and the, the weight of the suffering of this world is sort of block it out or pretend it's not there or don't hope for anything more because what happens if you hope for more? Have you ever done that? You say, well, I'm hoping for more and then more doesn't come. As a matter of fact, it gets worse. What does that do to you? You're, you're, you're almost better off not having hoped for more. So Pig's response here is, it's the, expect, it's the hope that kills you. I never expected anything more anyway because it's the hope that kills you. But the gospel of Jesus gives us a better way to deal with the brokenness than to say, okay, I'm not going to expect anything more. This is the way it is. We're going to leave it there. Uh, the gospel gives us much, much more than that. And so in the midst of this darkness that Paul is laying out for us, he gives us a burst of light. He gives us a burst of hope. And so he says, as we looked at in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we're going to go back through these verses and we're going to look at creation again. And you look at verse 19, for the creation does what? It waits with eager longing. It waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation is waiting. It, is, it does have expectations. It is looking forward to something. And that something that it's looking forward to is the revealing of the sons of God, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. But look at the end of verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, what? In hope, in hope that it will be set free from its bondage. So the creation now waits with hope. The creation is groaning under the suffering, but it also waits with hope. There's a hope that it is waiting for. And what is that hope? He says in verse 21, that the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that word glory is an important one to understand. Glory refers to splendor, to magnificence, to excellence. We talk about God in his glory, God in his splendor, God in his magnificence, God in his awesomeness. The creation is waiting for the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's a glory waiting us, which we're going to see here in a moment. And here again, we see the creation's fate is tied to ours, right? So God created this perfect world, put man and woman in the world and said, this is how you should live. And they said, no, God, we're going to do it our way. So not only were their lives plunged into the corruption and decay we see, but the entire universe was cursed, the material universe. But now 
as God deals with his children, the creation is going to be restored one day as well. Creation's fate is tied to ours. But I'd like to go back to that pains of childbirth. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth till now. What we need to do is we need to hear the hopeful note that is sounded in that. The pains of childbirth. You say, well, what hope is there? That's pain. We just talked about how painful that is. But Paul did not say that the creation has been groaning in the pains of a kidney stone. Those who have had both, I, again, have never had, those who have been pregnant and had delivered and have had a kidney stone say the kidney stone is actually worse than the pain of childbirth. But Paul didn't say that the creation has been groaning in the pains of a kidney stone. Yeah, Jim, you've had, yeah, yeah, you know what that is. No personal testimonies, though. We'll just acknowledge that, so, right? He didn't say that your, the creation is groaning in the pains of a broken leg. He said the creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. There's a hopeful note here. It is indeed painful, but it's a hopeful pain. It's a hopeful pain. And I couldn't figure out the best way to say this, so I'm going to say it both ways. It's also a painful hope. It's a hopeful pain, but also a painful hope. Because the pain you're going through, what comes at the end of it? There's a child at the end of this, right? There's a child at the end of this. And it's a painful hope because as you, as you go through the pregnancy, you go through the delivery, you have this hope that this child is coming, but there's pain between here and there that's coming. It's a hopeful pain and a painful hope. Jesus said it this way in John 16, 21. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. The sorrow and anguish of birth pains give way to the joy of a new baby. The sorrow and anguish of birth pains give way to the joy of a new baby. So the creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. That describes both the pain, but it also describes the hope that's coming, that the creation waits with hope, with a hopeful expectation of what is to come. Well, what about God's children? What about God's children? Uh, verses 23 to 25. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, Paul talks about the first fruits of the Spirit. Well, what is that? The first fruits of the Spirit. Uh, and uh, Ben, uh, I, I think, can you uh, tell us what that is? You recognize that? Ben mows my lawn. This is a raspberry patch that I have in my backyard. I love raspberries. A few years ago, kids gave me a little bush. I planted it, and it's grown into this monstrosity. Uh, but Ben, when you started mowing, what was my instruction? Mow around it. Do not mow over my pl raspberry plants, please, because it starts at the ground. And so he was very specifically instructed to not mow over it. Uh, and that was taken just a couple days ago. Uh, and that's why we're doing it, because you can see those berries coming. He even caught a little bee there pollinating the flowers. Um, but what are the first fruits? These are not the first fruits yet, but what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for sometime in August, there's going to be some nice red berries on there. And I'm looking forward to that. Those are the first fruits. 
Those are the first fruits. And they're usually, you know, I'm all excited. I've been waiting all year for this. There's three or four of them, right? <laughs> so I pick them off and I bring them into the house and I'm all excited. But by the time we're done, we have enough to make some shortcake and, you know, have some muffins and stuff with these, with these raspberries. Did I say blueberries? No, did I say raspberries? Sometimes I lose track of myself. We have these raspberries that uh, those three or four, what are they? They're the first fruits. They're the promise of more to come. They're the pledge that something more is coming, that this, what we're seeing now, is not the end. It is the beginning of a harvest. What is the first fruits for us as believers, Paul says, if you look in verse 23? We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of God who lives in us is that first fruit. That's God's promise that he's going to bring all of this he's doing to fulfillment. He's going to com complete this rescue that he has started. This is the first fruits. We are groaning together now because of the suffering in this world, but one day God's going to follow through on that promise on these first fruits. And we're going to get our adoption as bodies, he says there, or the adoption of sons, I mean. He says, um, where in verse 23, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We're waiting for that adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, if you were paying attention, uh, if you look in verse 15, we looked at this last week, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So is that spirit of adoption, is that past tense, present tense, or future, where he says, you have received the spirit of adoption? That's past tense, right? He says, you have received the spirit of adoption. Then down in verse 23, he says, we're waiting eagerly for adoption as sons. Is that past, present, or future? That's future. All right, so which is it? Paul's schizophrenic, he's contradicting himself. No, this is a very important thing you need to understand in studying the scriptures and understanding the salvation that God has brought to us. It's called the already but not yet. The already but not yet. And it sounds sort of funny when you say it, but when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Jesus has already saved us, but not yet completely saved us. He's coming back again someday. Jesus has already started his kingdom, but he has not yet completed his kingdom. God has already adopted us as his sons, but he has not yet completed that adoption as sons. Everything that there is about our rescue, our salvation, that what Jesus has done for us fits into this already, not yet. Jesus has already come, but he has not yet completed that. He's coming again someday. We live in this already, not yet. So, we wait eagerly for that adoption as sons, knowing that we have been adopted. We have the first fruits of the Spirit within us. It's as good as done. It's as good as done. We don't have to worry about it happening. It's going to happen. But there's a part of that. We are sons now. We, are, we have received that adoption, but yet it's not complete until he comes back. And someday that will be complete. And not only that, God's salvation is for all of us, uh, the total part of us, he says, the redemption of our bodies. Some people like to think that Jesus really only saves us in our spirit. It's, a, it's an immaterial thing. No, he's going to redeem our bodies. He's going to rescue our bodies. We're going to get new bodies. 
We're waiting for, don't, don't you love that, right? Especially those of us who get older, looking forward to that new body, right? The one that doesn't wake up in the morning and say, okay, what hurts today? Um, he's going to give us the redemption of our bodies. Our coming rescue is total, even to the point of new bodies. And then look what he says, for in this hope we were saved. So God, the creation waits with hope. God's children wait with hope. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. It's important to understand when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking. You know, we say, well, I hope the Phillies win the World Series this year. Well, what is that? That's wishful thinking, right? That's wishful thinking. We have no reason to have any security that that's going to happen. That's not, when the Bible uses the word hope, that's not what it's talking about. The, the biblical use of the word hope is a confident expectation of a favorable outcome. It's the confident expectation of a favorable outcome. If I'm lost at sea and I'm drifting, holding on to my uh, life vest, and I hear a helicopter coming in the distance, I have hope that I'm going to be saved. I have hope that I'm going to be rescued because that helicopter is on its way. I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. I don't know how long it's going to take to find me. But I have this confident expectation of a favorable outcome. And then Paul says, for who hopes for what he says? So we used to hope that the Eagles would win the Super Bowl, right? We don't have to hope for that anymore. They did it, right? So you don't hope for what you see. You hope for what you don't see. Well, Paul says we don't see this adoption as sons completed yet. We don't see this redemption of our bodies completed yet. We don't see this rescue that Jesus is bringing to us completed yet. But in this hope we have been saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, what do we do? We wait for it with patience. We have a confident expectation of a favorable outcome. So we wait. We wait. Uh, when my family was younger, uh, we used to, we took up the biking, bicycling, and uh, we went on a 25-mile uh, charity bike ride one time. I think we had a three-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. Uh, uh, Aaron slept for two days after that ride, I think. Um, he pedaled this whole way. I carried the three-year-old, so I did all that work. Laura was getting rather tired uh, by the end of this, and she was losing hope because she didn't know how long it was. And I said, you know what? I'm going to ride down the road ahead of everybody, and I'm going to see how far it is. And so that's what I did. I rode down, found out that it was really, we were just about there, was able to ride back and say, don't worry, you can have hope. It's not too far away. She didn't see the end. She still hadn't seen it, but she was able to take my word for it that the end was near. Uh, and she was able to then move on with hope. And that's how our lives are here. We live in this world, and we know that Jesus is going to bring it to an end, but we don't know when that's going to happen. But he's telling us here, Paul is telling us, it is going to end. It is going to end. That the suffering that we are experiencing in this world will be brought to a close, and that there will be, he says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's coming. And I love this in verse 25. He says, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. But in verse 23, he just said, we wait eagerly. 
So, you know, that word eagerly carries this idea of an impatience, an urgent longing, a can't wait. So Paul is saying we wait patiently with impatience, right? We, uh, we can't wait, and yet we wait. And that's the tension that God calls us to. You know, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Or I can't wait until he calls me home. You know, he said, oh, you're crazy. I got a lot of life to live. You know, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to be done with this, uh, the suffering of this world. I'm ready to go home. So if Jesus comes back today, that's fine with me. Or if I die today, that's okay with me. Uh, I'm ready to go home because I'm done with the suffering of this world. But I'm not done. So what do I do? I wait impatiently with patience, right? I'm eagerly waiting. I'm eagerly looking. I've told some people this before when I drive. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come out of the clouds and we're going to meet him. I'm driving up out of Upper Darby sometimes, and the clouds are ahead of me, and I'm just looking, all right, is, is he there? Uh, uh, not yet, but uh, that's how we should live, right? We should live with this reality that Jesus is coming back. We eagerly wait with patience for what we do not yet see, but yet he has promised that he's going to bring it. And then he says that the suffering that we go through now is not worth comparing with the glory that is coming. The suffering of this world is not worth comparing with the glory that's going to come to us. When we get there, we're going to look back and we're going to almost forget the suffering. We're going to forget how bad it is. We're going to forget what we went through because of how far greater heaven is and how far greater being with in the presence of God is. Well, let's spend a couple minutes uh, with the thinking it through here. First of all, don't be surprised at the sufferings of this world. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you drive the car home and there's a dent or the molding in the window goes up when you roll the window up. That's all part of life in a broken, sin-cursed world. Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. There is no such thing as perfect in this world, as we said. And, though we, and we groan under that. It's, it, the call here is not to ignore it. Oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. no. The suffering is real. The pain is real. So don't ignore it. It's like Pig was doing. You know, I never had any greater expectation anyway. It's the hope that kills you. No, don't, don't live that way. Don't put your head in the sand and pretend that there is no suffering or that somehow you're a weaker person because you're feeling the pain of this. No, it hurts. Life hurts. Life is painful. Things happen. But our groanings should not lead us to despair they should remind us that glory is coming. Rescue is coming. Jesus is coming. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. Suffering is temporary. Glory is forever. Suffering is temporary. Glory is forever. And they can't be compared. They can't be compared. There is no comparison between the suffering. And I can't even imagine that. You just think of the suffering that's going on in this world uh, even today, if you went through the newspaper to see what's going on, it's, it's a weight, it's a groaning that comes to us, but they can't be compared. Well, what if you're an unbeliever here, you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, or perhaps you're unsure about where you stand with God and what you want to do. I think this passage is a reminder that freedom from the suffering of this world and participation in the glory to come is for those who are children of God. It's for those who are children of God, which only comes to those with faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
Jesus lived the sinless life that we could not live. He died the death that I deserve to die, paying the penalty for my sin. And he was raised again from the dead, conquering our greatest enemy, death. And by putting faith in him, in his life, death, and resurrection, that's how we overcome the suffering of this world and have the hope of this glory to come. God is inviting you to come to him through Jesus Christ. This is God's invitation to any of you who do not know him or who are not sure, who are wavering in your faith to say he is worth trusting. He is worth entrusting your life to. Well, what about believers? For those of us as believers, God has provided the sure hope of the gospel, the sure hope of the gospel. There is no question that the great suffering of this life will one day give way to the greater glory we will receive as children of God. The great suffering of this life will one day give way to the greater glory we will receive as the children of God as we move from groaning to glory. Groaning to glory. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? I can't wait. I can't wait. In the meantime, we wait. Right? I can't wait to get there, but in the meantime, we wait. Well, I'd like to set up next week a little bit. It's one thing to live in the sure hope that one day all this suffering we experience now will one day be going away. Well, what about the time between now and then? What happens? Well, we're going to get into that next week and the following week as we deal. It, uh, dealing with the suffering of this life is not just saying, okay, I'm suffering now and someday it's all going to get better. I just need to grit my teeth and hold on until that day comes. No, God calls us to live within that in a healthy way uh, through the course of our lives. You're not just gritting our teeth and holding on. So we are going to look at that uh, next week and the following week. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray uh, to close this time of our uh, study together. But after that, our closing song is going to be a video that uh, has greatly moved me as it expresses many of the sentiments that are contained in these verses. Uh, and it's just a, it's a great reminder of where we are at and where our hope is, where our hope is. Uh, don't minimize the suffering of this world. Like I said, it hurts. It's okay to say it hurts. But we can say it hurts with hope that it's getting better. You know, I think of my wife, Laurel, who went through surgery. Why did we do this? We went through this pain because of the hope that's on the other side that this is going to take care of some problems that otherwise would not have been taken care of. We live within this, in this pain with the hope that it's going to get better. And then I'm going to pray now. We'll watch the video, and then I'll come back with the closing uh, benediction. So let's uh, pray together. Father, I pray that as we prayed at the beginning, you would take these words that we have spoken, that they are your words. They are the words that your spirit can use to drive into our hearts.